Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Hey, everybody. We're thinking about our neighbors in Garfield this week after a six-hour shootout between police and a man who was being evicted there. He's been identified as William Hardison Jr., and the medical examiner's report says he was likely killed by law enforcement. Details are still trickling in, but we know this story touches a bunch of important issues in our city. So we're going to talk more about them on the show soon. Please stay tuned. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, a new study finds Pennsylvanians eat dinner surprisingly early. So we asked Yins what you think. Big layoffs have put the spotlight on a certain local outdoor company and why officials at one local school district say they're planning to go back to high school. It's August 25th, the Friday News Roundup. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. I'm with CityCast Francesca DeBecco. Good morning. Hey, happy Friday. Happy Friday. And Mallory Falk, hey. Good morning. Y'all, I am so cold. I know it's going to get warmer later today, but after a few days of rain and gray and now the pumpkin spice stuff is back, I feel like (laughs) I need to get my sweaters out. It's all I'm saying. Not going to lie. I had my first uh, autumn spice latte and it was a dream. (laughs) I'm a firm believer in not jumping on pumpkin spice the second it's back because, you know, it the limited time only quality is what makes it special. But the limited time only quality starts now, unfortunately, <laughs> because peppermint and chocolate and like all of that stuff is back by like mid-October. True, I'm, that's I'm fair. May that's or true. may not hoard a little bit of pumpkin beer now just so I can use it in October. Trying to actually find a pumpkin beer on like Halloween Eve in the grocery store Impossible. is a fool's errand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Mallory, uh, lead producer Mallory is batting first today. You want to kick us off? Yeah, so it's back to school season. Um, Some districts in Allegheny County are already back and Pittsburgh Public Schools, of course, the first day is Monday. Um, There are a lot of pretty dire stories about the state of public education across our country right now. And just wait, we've got one coming. I was going to say we're going to talk about that next week. Um, So I thought I would bring something like a little more uplifting to the table. Thank Um, you. We love that. So just outside of Pittsburgh is the first school district in Pennsylvania to bring back its middle school program after totally eliminating it. And according to some new reporting in Pittsburgh Union Progress, it could bring back its high school somewhat soon. Wow, that's impressive. What a rebound. Yeah. It, was it just a matter of like declining enrollment or real estate? Do we know like why they lost their programs to begin with? Yeah. So and I should say this is uh, the Duquesne City School District. Um, So back in 2007, it shut down its high school because of some kind of like longstanding um, financial issues and 
problems with academic performance. Mm. And then several years later, it closed its middle school as well. And so students in the district ended up going to East Allegheny and West Mifflin area school districts. I know that's super unusual up here, but actually that's exactly what I did as a kid. Like the school district I went to when I was little was K-8 and that's it. There was no high school. So like you always knew that you would be switching school districts to go to high school. And it had always been that way. But it wasn't a thing where the high school had gone away. It was that there just never was one because like the population of the small town I grew up in never had enough to support its own high school. But so I never thought of it as being weird or different. But I like that was my reflexive position. I was like, oh, well, that's normal. That's chill. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I think it's exactly what you say of like there's a difference between that's just kind of the way it's always been versus your your district like loses a pillar of its right, community. Right, yeah. And then, you know, you're going to a district where maybe there's like stigma associated with the fact that you're coming from a district that's been considered like a failing district. So it's just a totally different situation. Yeah. I can imagine it's really hard for the kids to have to go to different area schools. Uh, but I wonder what it's going to feel like for them to have their possibly have their high school back Um, and for their parents too like sometimes you know like there's those like old rivalries especially for high schools that are close (laughs) to each other like like they've had to go to East Allegheny and cheer for a mascot that maybe wasn't theirs or they didn't like from their own time in high school which I like I feel like I've heard about them like their athletics like I feel like that was like a big thing over at Duquesne City yeah I think that was like a real point of pride for the district and I mean you know 2007, that's, gosh, like almost 20 years ago at this point. Um, That that hurt. That cut deep, Valerie. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm sorry to uh, make everyone feel ancient on a Friday morning. (laughs) But, um, you know, the whole thing that sort of set this trajectory to bring back the middle school and now maybe the high school was uh, a new superintendent coming in in 2018, Sue Mariani. And she said, you know, when she started, she met with all these different community members and groups. And there was really kind of this mandate to restore Duquesne city to being a K-12 district. So people, clearly this was still something that was really important to families, um, even years after losing uh, these programs. How Um, much of all this is related to, you know, kind of our larger conversation in the state about school funding and like, you know, the equitable distribution of money? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes this an interesting story is how it fits with sort of where things stand with school funding in Pennsylvania right now. Um, Earlier this year, a Commonwealth Court judge found that the way Pennsylvania currently funds its public school system is unconstitutional. We we talked about this at the time, so we'll make sure to drop a link to that episode in the show notes. Um, But Pennsylvania relies on property taxes to fund public schools like more than most other states. And so it really creates the system of haves and have nots. Yeah, Mount Lebanon and Upper St. Clair have no problem funding their schools. Exactly. And so I should shout out Andrew Goldstein is the one who's done a lot of this reporting on Duquesne City, first for the Post-Gazette and now for Pittsburgh Union Progress. Um, And as of 2022, uh, Duquesne's millage rate was among the lowest in Allegheny County, Mm. which means like it just did not have the same, couldn't raise the same amount of money to put into the district. And so that means that there are districts like Duquesne City that are having to make these really difficult choices when they don't have enough resources to serve their students. So where do things stand now? Are they getting better? Yeah. So like I mentioned, this judge found that the way we fund schools is so unfair that there are like such big funding gaps between poor and wealthy districts that it's actually illegal. But the thing is, 
this ruling from the judge, it didn't find like our funding formula is broken and here's how to fix it. It just found it's broken. (laughs) And it's really up to state lawmakers now to figure out how to reimagine the funding model. Um, And that could take a really long time. But the hope is that, you know, eventually this will make a difference and we won't see schools having to make some of these hard choices. You know, I was looking in doing research for this story, I was looking at like, are there other districts that have just totally shuttered their middle or high school programs? Mm-hmm. We, you know, obviously close to home have the example in Wilkinsburg. Um, right. But I actually found a story um, from my old editor at WHYY, Kevin McCory, um, in 2016. He wrote about um, how the superintendent of the school district in Erie was considering closing the high schools so that students could go to these nearby suburban districts that were wealthier and had more resources and he felt could better serve students than his district could, which, you know, they ultimately didn't go that route, but I think really illustrates like how the current funding model kind of backs some of these districts into a corner. This also makes me think about like those school districts, like the area school districts that that got the kids from Duquesne City, like how they're going to feel about <laughs> this extra like money being taken away from them, right? Because of the population of the students. Yeah, I mean, that's a big question is like these districts stand to lose funding if this high school comes back. Um, but it's all about what's best for the kids. <laughs> That's what we need to think about. I mean, that's very nice of you to say. I don't know that anybody following the bottom line feels exactly like that, but I love the sentiment. (laughs) So something that I think is interesting about Duquesne City in the meantime, um, while everyone's kind of waiting for this new funding formula, is whether or not it might become a model for other districts that are having to make some of these hard decisions. Um, I found this interesting public source story about Stow Rocks. I saw which that is, one. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great story um, about kind of this five-year plan they have to try to, you know, keep their district afloat. Um, I guess they they got some attention a few years ago for actually running out of paper and needing community donations mm-hmm. to wow. restock their paper, mm-hmm. which if there's ever an example of just kind of like this the lack of, of have resources have nots in Pennsylvania schools. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's a really strong one. I went to a football game there once and they had like this big thing of like, rah, rah, like let's show some pride in our Stow Rocks team. Like, and then right as like the, che- the crowd was cheering, the scoreboard went out. Like just blacked. It's like, oh, oh wow! It's like oh, this is so sad. And they couldn't get it back online. They just kept yelling out the score. It was, it was. I mean, it was kind of nice in a like hometowny way, but also like they should have a scoreboard that functions. Right. I think that that reminds me of the student I talked to during um, when I was covering the school funding lawsuit, who was like, you know, everyone loves to cheer for the underdogs, and we've had a lot of people cheering for us. Um, and we find a way to to get through, but also like no one should be an underdog I when it know. comes to public education. 100%. So the story with Stowe Rocks, I mean, a lot of kids there ended up going to charter schools. I know the Propel system is around that area. Right. And so that's actually one of the things when they when they were talking about this like survival plan, they pointed to Duquesne City as a district that had been able to like recruit students back from the charter schools they'd left for Interesting. Um, as a way to, you know, get some of that funding back. So it just made me curious of like, will Duquesne City actually be able to bring its high school back? Will it continue to show academic growth? That's part of why it was able to bring its seventh grade back a couple years ago and then its eighth grade back last school year was because of the academic progress that it had made. And so if it's going to be years before 
we see more funding in some of these schools as a result of this lawsuit and this court ruling, then I'll be curious what Duquesne City might be able to teach other districts. Yeah. And in the meantime, I know Duquesne City and a bunch of other districts around the state are kind of in limbo right now, uh, waiting for some state funds. I covered this in the Hey Pittsburgh newsletter, but Mallory, can you tell us more about the Level Up program and what's happening with that? Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that Pennsylvania has these huge funding gaps between districts. But, you know, the state has taken some steps to try to alleviate this. I mean, the the Commonwealth Court determined not enough. But um, one initiative is this thing called Level Up that provides extra funding to 100 of the state's poorest districts. That includes Duquesne City and Stow Rocks and actually 10 districts in Allegheny County. Um, but, you know, there's ongoing drama in Harrisburg right now, and that money is tied up in these partisan negotiations. So the budget's supposed to include $100 million for Level Up, but there are these bills that still need to be passed to actually release that funding. Like, it's not available right now. So it's exactly like you said, Francesca, these school districts are in limbo. They're starting back up, but they're still waiting on that money. I actually really hate this. The state of Pennsylvania likes to pretend like grant programs are the way to solve public education. And it's so frustrating. We've been doing this for decades. It does not work. It's so inequitable. And if you're not familiar with how money moves for kids, you're not alone because it's not straightforward here. And it's so frustrating. In a lot of other states, there's a per pupil spending amount. And that's how like you can judge it by enrollment. So if you have more kids, then you get more money. And if you have fewer kids, you get less money. But not here in PA. It's so much messier and it doesn't have to be. And it should not be a we shouldn't be looking to a grant program to solve it. Like level up is fine, I guess. But it is the bare minimum of what this state should be doing for our kids. Yeah. And I guess deadlines are important here. Uh, the state Senate, um, you know, has its budget to finish. Uh, it's actually getting back to work earlier than previously scheduled, August 30th instead of September 18th. So, all right, get back to work. Because they didn't do their job, so they have to come back early. <laughs> you don't get any credit for coming back early when you didn't finish your job before. This is my soapbox. <laughs> we got business to finish. Uh, don't leave until you get it done. Get those kids funding for paper. Yeah. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art. Eat gourmet snacks, people watch. We'll mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So switching gears, we started the morning on Tuesday with a wonderfully specific press release. Mallory, (laughs) I know I showed it to you. Francesca, Mm -hmm. I'm going to read you the title. Dick Sporting Goods must stop acting as national distributor of soccer cleats that drive the slaughter of kangaroos in their native habitats. Uh, (laughs) Okay, that's a lot. Um, It's it's also long. (laughs) And also what? (laughs) I promise we're going to come back to this. Um, But actually, we should probably talk about Dick Sporting Goods. The company is headquartered here in Pittsburgh or Finley. Robinson. Finley, actually. It's uh, just west of the city. Yeah, right. Um, But they announced pretty big layoffs this week. 10% of their corporate group or like 1% of the total workforce. It's like a decent amount of people. Wait, I thought I like just saw them talking about opening a bunch of new stores. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw different numbers. One story said it was seven stores. Another one said it was nine stores. They want it to be 100 in a couple of years. Um, mm. But I hear that they're huge compared to Dick's, like 100,000 square feet. Um, and I already thought Dick's stores were pretty big. The new brand is called House of Sport. There isn't one in Pittsburgh yet. Scranton got one randomly. Mm. Oh, so by new stores, you mean like not just more Dick's locations, like a whole new brand? Yeah, an entirely new brand. So I guess they're dropping the field and streamline that they've carried for a long time in stores. And instead, they're going to focus more on this house of sport model, which has like destination stuff in addition to apparel and gear. So I guess they want people to like do climbing walls and batting cages and have training spaces. So not just a place to buy stuff, but a place to use it, too. Um, I'm not sure how this fits its larger business model, though, because like they've got this big outdoor store, Public Lands in Cranberry, and they've got that discount store on McKnight Road. Have y'all been to Going, Going, Gone? Yeah, yeah. I've got some good uh, athletic wear there. (laughs) I love a discount store. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I have not. I'm going to have to make a trip. It's it's I mean, it looks like one of those discount warehouses. I think it was actually the space for like an old Ross or something like it. Um, But yeah, it's just like a white walls and sort of a not great dressing room situation and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clothes, like just racks and racks separated by size. I got a great uh, winter coat at the going, going, gone. So um, interesting to see what's happening with them because uh, they employ a lot of locals. The Post-Gazette had an old, old story that said that it was something around 4,000 people, a little more than that here locally. But um, I, haven't, I haven't seen any updated figures. OK, so if, you know, Dix as a whole is growing, expanding, adding a new brand, then why do they need to be doing layoffs? Why is there this decline? Good question. Um, It doesn't look like anyone's gotten a clear answer yet Um, from the reporting. The execs blamed uh, a bad quarter that they had, like their quarterly earnings report um, on shrink. Uh, Are you all familiar with that? Like the if there's an internal issue or people steal things. Have you guys ever shoplifted from a big store before? (laughs) 
I don't know if this fully counts as shoplifting. When I was a little kid, I stole a sticker from a party store, like a little fuzzy puppy. And then I don't remember if I got caught or just like confessed because I was a goody two shoes with a lot of Jewish guilt. But I had to go return it. But it wasn't sticky anymore. But I had to return it on principle. I'm imagining little Mallory going through this. Um you will you will forever recall that little fuzzy puppy. Yeah, in your mind. and I never shoplifted again. <laughs> I have not. I don't. I feel like I was. I was definitely too afraid to do anything like that. Um, too much. Too much ethics. I think I only ever did it from Walmart, but I I stole a fair number of hair accessories for no reason at all, except that I just wanted a scrunchie and there was a scrunchie right there. So I took it. I like that scrunchies are back now. It makes me feel mildly vindicated. I still have all of them. (laughs) (laughs) You probably held on to them for longer than people who purchase them outright. Oh, 100%. Uh, But I don't know that that has anything to do with the shoplifting. So yes, um, nationally, I guess stores all over are saying they like shrink like that concept of like theft and like there being like a packaging problem, stuff like that um, is like a huge issue right now. Wow. Um, So yeah, um, we'll have to wait and see what the reporting bears out. That's interesting. I wonder why it's on the rise right now. I mean, I guess people are struggling. I guess. I I don't know. But Megan, back to kangaroos. What the heck is this all about? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I didn't know about this. I'm sure lots of other people did. Um, but it's totally real. That press release, um, some athletic shoes, like a lot of soccer cleats specifically, are made with kangaroo leather. I didn't what? know. Oof. Um, Nike and Puma, like the shoe company, um, dropped the practice of using it in lieu of synthetics um, a few years ago. Um, and that press release was calling on Dicks to stop selling other brands that are still using it. So that included Adidas and Mizuno. Um, so credit to the Center for a Humane Economy, because that was brand new information for me. It's always a bummer when these kind of like wild press releases that seem a little silly at first actually open a portal to really upsetting news. I had no No. idea about this demand for kangaroo leather. No. If you're interested, I actually found a Reuters piece that kind of went into the practice a little bit. And they also have some heartwarming footage of kangaroos playing and eating. So we'll have that for you in the show notes. So last on the docket, uh, we got a fun study the other day, too. Um, I love that this is coming from our inbox a lot. Uh, Pennsylvania eats dinner, apparently, earlier than anyone else in the nation. Um, I thought this was super funny. Francesca, I know you had a lot of fun with it in the Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. Yeah, there was this new analysis. uh, Philadelphia Inquirer reported on it. Uh, Pennsylvanians eat uh, dinner at the average time of 5.37 p.m. Very specific. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it had a big range, too. Like, Pennsylvania had one of the widest ranges from, I think, 5.05 to 8.15 or thereabouts. Yeah, it was really interesting. And I wanted to know how this lined up with Hey Pittsburgh Readers' supper schedule and why they <laughs> thought we're such early birds. Um, I'll give you the breakdown. So I had 59 people respond. First of all, thank you all who responded. This is so fun. I'm so excited when you engage with me. I'm definitely going to be sending out more surveys like this. Um, So let me break it down. Here's what you all had to say. About 9% of you eat between 4.30 and 5.30, 36% 5.30 and 6.30, 
24% between 6.30 and 7.30, and 31% between 7.30 and 8.30. So it's really kind of across the board, like Pennsylvania. Uh, but there is It seems still- like the largest ones, though, are like 5.30 to 6.30 and then 7.30 to 8.30. So you're either yeah. in that like happy hour, sort of like right after work, or you're very late, probably childless, <laughs> maybe, maybe hanging out with your pets. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that there are a couple of reasons why um, people think that we eat early or fall within these trends. Uh, I'd like to know, first of all, when do you guys typically eat dinner and why do you think? I mean, my best guess was going to be just because Pennsylvania has an older population than most states. So the elderly set that's into their early bird specials. I don't have like a set dinner time. I think it really depends dramatically on how my day is going. If I'm I'm working late, it might be closer to like seven or eight. Um, If I haven't had a lunch break, maybe I'm eating my dinner over the sink shoving food into my mouth at five. So Mallory's a gremlin. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I'm in gremlin mode and sometimes I'm in like civilized fine dining mode. It all just depends. Mallory, I think that's interesting because you said if you're working late, you'd eat between 7.30 and 8.30. But in a lot of places, that's their normal, their average. So like, I think it it still even resonates with us. But um, Megan, how about you? Uh, So totally. I think I'm on two different spectrums. Um, If everything has gone well and to plan because I have a small child, I'm probably most often in the 530 to 630 category. However, Mm -hmm. if anything goes awry, I feed him and then I don't actually eat till like nine. So I'm not even on this chart. Good point. Maybe I should have put another range in there. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, Hey Pittsburgh Greeters had some really interesting things to say. So Dandy from the South Side, who eats between 7.30 and 8.30, said that I leave work earlier here than other places I've lived. He goes home at four instead of six. So that could potentially shift dinner time for others. Totally. Um so there was also Ginny from Crafton. She eats between 5.30 and 6.30. And she said many work shifts in the steel mills, hospitals, schools, and more are ending at 3 p.m. And then Laura from Butler County, you know, she kind of double tapped all of this and said that it's within working class traditions. You get home and you're hungry. And she said, I think a lot of people skip lunch, too. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Francesca, you didn't actually share yours. When do you eat dinner? I'm kind of the same as you guys. Like, it just depends whenever, you know, it depends day by day. But I like to stay within the, like, 6.30 to 7.30 range. That's probably ideal. Um, And uh, Eric also eats between 6.30 and 7.30. He's in Stanton Heights. And he says the weather maybe. Pennsylvania has a lot of gray (laughs) days. Mix that with early sunsets for a good portion of the year. And people might be feeling like staying in and eating earlier. I thought that was an interesting you know, kind of evaluation. A nice 5 p.m. bowl of soup on a gray day. <laughs> exactly. I also wonder if just like not having a lot of like if you're if you don't like to cook and you like to eat out, like you just don't have a ton of options if you wait very long. Um, after like 8 p.m., kitchens start to close and by 10, you're just SOL. Yeah. And that's what Michelle had to say. She eats between 630 and 730 and the West End. She said, I think the general age range is higher here, but I think restaurants also influence dinner time too. restaurants close at nine. I have to eat yep. sooner in order to get seated. So I think they influence each other. I think that's so true. Yeah. Uh, but one of my <laughs> favorite ones was uh, <laughs> Gloria in North Oakland. She eats between 530 and 630 and she says, got to get hungry again for a midnight snack. <laughs> 
I, I, you know, that's so true. I appreciate fellow night owls. Yes, I'm into that. Yeah, that's what the late night bowl of Captain Crunch is for. <laughs> exactly. I love a snack. Um, and then there was Linda. Uh, she's in Spring Hill. She eats between 5.30 and 6.30. She's similar uh, to Gloria here. She said, we want time to digest our food before an early bedtime. Ha. Uh, so it was really fun to hear people's responses. I don't think there is any one answer, but it's really interesting to think about our eating habits here and how they're influenced by uh, work, you know, industry, possibly the weather, and also the restaurants, where we have access to at what time. Um, mm-hmm. We'll put some more polls in our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. You can look out for those. They're super fast to fill out. I think it literally took me like 30 seconds. But it's it's fun to see how people live. Yeah, we had so much fun. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please let someone know. I know I always find my best podcast recommendations when people tell me what's up. Our music is by Benji. Producers this week include Mallory Falk, Sophia Lowe, and Maria Carter. Francesca DeBecco writes our newsletter, and we got editing help this week from Brian Vance. I'm your host, Megan Harris. We will be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, everyone. Valerie's loud typing strikes again. <laughs> <laughs>